The Cowboys are back. Bob Sturm of The Ticket joins us to talk about the upcoming season, his thoughts on hard knocks and the upcoming Ryder Cup, and he gives us a streaming recommendation about vampires. But first, Steve Hatchell of the National Football Foundation joins us to talk about the lessons learned from football, and he also breaks down this unfolding situation with the Big 12 Conference. Also, we hear from former NHL goaltender Al Montoya on his new role as Director of Community Outreach for the Dallas Stars. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our next level intern, Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Monica and Marcus, it is episode 30. We hit another milestone. Think about legendary number 30s in Dallas-Fort Worth sports. And let's start with Neftali Feliz, who was wearing number 30 when he got the last three outs of the 2010 ALCS to send the Rangers to the World Series for the first time. That was pretty cool. Uh, Lucius Harris wore number 30 for the Mavericks back in my day. So did Longhorn Dexter Cambridge. Uh, Monica's excited about that. Another Longhorn, Bryant Westbrook, wore number 30 for the Cowboys in 2002, but he only wore it for one game. After being signed as a free agent in the offseason, he had a rough opener and was cut. Uh, he ended up continuing his career uh, with the Packers. Anthony Brown at Go Boilermakers wears number 30 for the Cowboys now. But in honor of our guest, Al Montoya, who's coming on to talk about the Stars a bit later in the podcast, we're going to go with Stars goalie Ben Bishop. We're, we're dedicating today's effort to Ben Bishop. We hope he, he his knee heals and he is restored to health. There's going to be a heck of a competition uh, with the addition of Braden Holtby uh, into to the Stars uh, roster. but. Number 30 goes to Ben Bishop today, a traditional goaltender number. There's a reason for that. You know, in the old days, the uh, uh, numbers in hockey were assigned by position, and uh, number one was the goalie. So you have a lot of number one goalies. And then 30 was sort of a number that wasn't accounted for. And so when they went to backup goalies after a certain point in time years ago, a lot of goalies got number 30, including Ben Bishop, who honors that tradition of goalies wearing number 30. A big mic drop moment on Wednesday as the Ryder Cup captain's picks were announced by Steve Stricker. Three local connections, Bryson DeChambeau, of course, who made the team on points as a Dallas resident and SMU product. Dallasites Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler. Monica, what do you have to say about that? Well, uh, Sully, I always like to see the Longhorns on the team, of course. A great uh, tradition there and program over at University of Texas. But I really love to hear the NC, the, the Dallas connection. Uh, hopefully, uh, Bryson and Brooks Kepka can put their differences behind them and uh, compete as a team for, for USA. I think um, this Dallas connection also shows the importance of golf here in the DFW area, obviously PGA of America. Uh, moving their headquarters here and the long uh, list and lineup of major big uh, golf events that are that are to come. So uh, hopefully we see more uh, golfers calling uh, DFW their their home, but uh, definitely excited to see and watch that uh, upcoming here on, I think, September 24th and uh, tw through the 26th. That's right. And once again, all roads and sports in one way or another seem to lead through Dallas. We'll be talking with 
National Foot Football Foundation President and CEO Steve Hatchell in a few minutes. They're based uh, in Irving. Everything seems to come through Dallas at one point or another. Whistling Straits is going to be awesome. And we'll more to come on that, too, with Bob Sturm later in the podcast. Uh, Hard Knocks finale was, uh, was this week with the Cowboys. Uh, I loved watching Trayvon Diggs take his son Aiden out for ice cream. Very polite young man. Uh, I admit it, I got choked up when Azur Kamara called his mom, even though I knew he had made the team, when he called his mom uh, to let, let her know that he had achieved his dream. That was pretty cool. Uh, but the highlight of the series was clearly the, the, uh, the tracking drone shot in episode three through the star, reminiscent of the famous Copacabana shot in Goodfellas and a few other infamous Hollywood tracking shots. Really well done. I enjoyed the, uh, the show. Monica, the Longhorns are 1-0, holding off the feisty uh, 23rd ranked at the time, Raging Cajuns. Way to go there. My oh. Boilermakers prevailed. Oh, uh, Sully, I, ha I have to chime in here. Uh, I, I feel like co uh, college football is actually here. Uh, you know, I haven't been that successful in the past uh, few years of uh, after the first game. It felt like uh, from a Longhorn standpoint, the, the, the season was over. But uh, other, you know, other than no uh, crisp air out in the uh, opening up on a Saturday morning to feel like college football, I think college football is back. It was great to see fans in the stands I'm, I'm excited I think we have two great uh um two great quarterbacks I even turned on the Aggie game and uh, and watched that and obviously a few other big matchups that were this past weekend uh Texas has a big uh, game against Arkansas I, I do have a question for the Jones family though uh, since there are two grandsons playing one for Arkansas and one for for Texas I'd love to know how that's going to go down in the support system and who they're going to be cheering for. So, so maybe we can uh, find some uh, information out about that. Um, but I think we have some other big news, Sully, uh, of, you know, last week we had Gina Miller on and we were talking about Ricardo Pepe. He, uh, a big game uh, against Honduras, uh, scored the go-ahead uh, goal, uh, as well as some, some assist uh, late in the game to give USA finally an edge and a win in their World Cup qualification efforts. Uh, I mean, so inspiring. 18-year-old, uh, the second youngest U.S. Uh, man to uh, play in a World Cup qualifier. Um, you know, just just exciting. And this was an important match for, for USA and being able to uh, try to climb up in the rankings. The top three will qualify. The fourth-place team will have to go to a playoff. So uh, exciting for FC Dallas. Uh, he got the start yesterday and uh, was able to score. So we look forward to the, the next qualification, and uh, hopefully he'll be a, another starter based off of his play. And, you know, just uh, four, three, four weeks ago, I think he scored that uh, winning goal in the MLS All-Star game too. So a rising uh, star here for FC Dallas and one we're going to continue to track on. Incredible for him to do that in his first outing, uh, representing the U.S. in international play. Monica, let's go over to our, our Mike Drop sports business correspondent, Marcus Carr, with an update from AT&T Stadium. Big news out of, uh, out of Jerry's world, uh, announcing a 10-year, $200 million extension with, uh, with Coors, which is, uh, owns Miller Lite. They're going to do a... Texas-sized tailgate experience at AT&T Stadium, which is going to be 87,000 square feet of uh, a tailgate plaza to uh, celebrate the kickoff for their their uh, season tonight. And it's going to be a, a pretty cool thing. I, I think Jerry's always innovative and, uh, you know, Cowboys fans are are one of the strongest fan bases in, in football. So I think 
I think it's a great extension for for the Cowboys and, you know, going to top Forbes again, it seems like. Yeah, the Cowboys always find a way to take the lead on these uh, business matters. All right, so we're back with uh, Steve Hatchell of the National Football Foundation in a moment. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sully, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than 2,000 animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Thanks, Rach. Now we're pleased to bring in Steve Hatchell, the president and CEO of Irving-based the National Football Foundation and the Atlanta-based Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame. Steve, of course, the former executive director of the Orange Bowl, former commissioner of the Southwest Conference and the founding commissioner of the Big 12. Lots to talk about there. Uh, Steve led the Pro Rodeo Cowboys Association to impressive growth during his run there. But what I like, uh, Steve, you started in the SID office of Colorado, and I always like that. There's almost no greater training ground probably for a career in sports than starting in, in sports information. So I feel like I'm among my people. Uh, but welcome to the mic drop, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Good to see you this morning. So, Steve, uh, you know, a lot of people will know that Texas is home to Friday Night Lights and and uh, football in general. But uh, a lot of people, I don't think, know that uh, the National Football Foundation maybe right is right here in, in our back backyard. Can you tell some of our listeners about your mission and maybe how they can get involved and support? You bet. Uh, and good to see you, Monica. Um, uh, a couple of things. Uh, Football Foundation uh, began in 1947 with real leadership from General Douglas MacArthur, uh, the legendary Army coach Red Blake, who has more players in the College Football Hall of Fame than any coach in history. And and um, <clears throat> it was um, uh, labor to, to say we're going to give back to football. Here's what's, these are the qualities of the game. These are the things that people like and respect about what it is to play the game, coach the game. Uh, what do you get from it? And so next year in 2022, we'll be 75 years old, which is, uh, which is very, very significant. We've now been in Dallas. Uh, when I got this job in 2005, they wanted us to uh, leave the New York area, which is where we were founded and um, had great growth, and to move to Dallas because uh, football is so significant in, um, in the state of Texas. So we've now been here um, almost 15 years, and um, uh, our mission is to um, shine a bright light on the, the great things that happen in the game of football. And um, if you look at it starts with who our board of directors is. Our chairman is Archie Manning. And we've got people such as Jerry Jones, who you've been talking about, Robert Kraft, Michael Bidwell of the Patriots, of the Cardinals, and the commissioner of the NFL. But we've also got Tim Cook of Apple. And we've got Kathy Murphy, who heads up a large part of Fidelity. And, um, and, and many others, with 47 board members, people who really care. Locally, it's Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12 who provides great leadership uh, as, uh, as do all five of the uh, commissioners in the, uh, the power five. And the whole idea is that um, we're gonna show the good things in the game. And um, a lot of times, you know, people nod off on that, but when it comes down to talking about uh, the real impact of the game on people, 
they turn to us for that type of information. And um, we like being in Dallas. Uh, the Football Writers Association is in the same office with us. If you were to leave our building here on Las Colinas, walk across the street, you'd be at the headquarters of the Big 12 Conference. If you walk across the street to the left, it's the headquarters of the college football playoff and the American Athletic Conference. And there's so many other football elements here in the city that um, uh, when we look at uh, Texas, we like to say that it's football 13 months out of the year and we like being part of that. So our, our mission is just to, um, to show the, the, good, the good elements in the game. Uh, we created the College Football Hall of Fame in 1952, and we've got a brand new one, seven years old in, in Atlanta. And um, <clears throat> we still continue to give out millions of dollars worth of scholarships every year to the, the best and the brightest of those who play football. Well, Steve, I, I know that uh, you definitely hit on something. Uh, football is definitely part of our DNA, and I know so many people that are excited that it is back. Uh, you mentioned the College Football Hall of Fame. You know, like everything, COVID uh, had an effect on that, and you weren't really able to induct a class last year, so I think you have a pretty big uh, class going into the hall this December, uh, led, of course, by uh, one of my Texas Longhorns defensive tackle, uh, Kenneth Sims. Um, along with Tony Romo and others. Tell us about um, the, the, the Hall of Fame and, and what to expect from the induction and uh, I guess how COVID uh, affected the class. Well, we, um, uh, first of all, a little history. Uh, to get into the College Football Hall of Fame, you have to be a, either a first team All-American as a player. And you say, well, why is that tough? Well, Joe Namath and Joe Montana were not first team All-Americans. Um, of the 5.5, roughly 5.5 million that have played the game of football since 1865, there's a little over a thousand players and about 230 coaches in the Hall of Fame. So it's a very elite society, and it's it's um uh, it's quite a process to to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. You got to be very very special. You have to be nominated by your school, and uh, we've got a lot of screening committees and. Um, so this is a, a really important aspect of, of, what we, of what we do. Now, in 2020, <clears throat> uh, we did not have what we call our Black Pie Dinner. Uh, this year, it will be 63 years old. <clears throat> it's always been at the Waldorf in, um, and then at the uh, New York Hilton in New York over the years. But with the shutdown in New York and all of the issues last year, we passed on having a dinner and we passed on celebrating the class of 2020 and built it all into 2021. So we're gonna honor both the classes of 2020 and the classes of 2021, which means that we've got 32 people we get to honor, which is really fantastic. It's the biggest group we've ever had. And um, we're going to do this at the Aria Resort in Las Vegas. Uh, they've been open, we're able to sell tickets and have people <clears throat> get their hotel rooms, et cetera, et cetera. So, we had, we're on a hiatus, but uh, we're roaring back and uh, we're, we're beyond sold out in terms of uh, uh, people coming to the dinner and all of the things that happen around it. But um, it's, it's a wonderful group. And um, uh, as you pointed out, uh, there's a lot of uh, local ties, but with 32 people, it's, it's, it's an extremely special group. We have uh, two coaches in each class. Uh, to be a coach, to get in the College Football Hall of Fame, you have to have won 60% of your game has been a head coach for 10 years. And um, 
you know, you, you just, you have to be, uh, you have to be pretty special uh, to, uh, to get in the college football hall of fame as a player or a coach. So we, we felt last year was, it was unfortunate that um, uh, we couldn't have our dinner and therefore we couldn't honor the class of 2020, but we're doing it in 2021. And there's a lot of excitement with it. And uh, when you put all of the big names together, the two classes, <clears throat> we're going to have, uh, we're going to have a heck of a party. And um, uh, it's a, it's a who's who of, of uh, the great people that, that played the game of football and made it so special that, that we'll have all together on December the 7th uh, in Las Vegas. Well, wishing you a lot of luck with that event uh, and very exciting for, for those 32 uh, members. Uh, and Steve, you mentioned earlier uh, some of the criteria a, play, a, a player has to have been a first team All-American to be considered. We had Drew Pearson on a few weeks ago to talk about his long overdue induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Do you think, uh, or maybe is there any discussion that uh, the criteria is too restrictive at all? You know, if you look at the makeup of um, <clears throat> who's on our board and who's on all of these uh, committees that we have, we call it the honors court. And it's made up of um, uh, media, um, Hall of Famers, got several Heisman Trophy winners, a lot of coaches. Um, you know, when you, when you think of all the people that have played the game, uh, we view all of those as part of the NFF family. And so the criteria gets reviewed every year. Uh, but I would say this, the, the, the overwhelming feeling, almost uh, without exception, the overwhelming feeling is that the criteria is correct and right, and that uh, we're encouraged all of the time to maintain the, the standards about what it is to get in the College Football Hall of Fame and to not waver. Um, it's, a, it's a tough thing, but... Um, uh, we, we like to think that it's a pretty good system. And in fact, we share our system with uh, folks at the Pro Football Hall of Fame because, um, um, you know, you, you want to do the right thing and you want to make sure that the right people get in and, and that you celebrate uh, just the, the, the greatest people that there are that, that played in the game. And when you look that there's 765 colleges and universities that played football, you've got a lot of people to look at. And, um, and, and in any given year, you start with 1,500 candidates, and then you winnow it down, and the honors court looks at 75 that uh, you're going to pick a class of 12 and 14 uh, players and two coaches. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's only restrictive in the sense that um, there are so many that deserve to get in. And we like to say that if we took 50 players every year, and you did that for 10 years, that's 500 players, you'd still have 1,500 to pick and to choose from. So the idea is to, to do the best that we can, uh, to pick the best that the schools and, and everybody likes. And uh, there really is not a, any sort of drumbeat or any effort whatsoever to change the criteria to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Steve, as the, as the, as the executive who navigated the transition from the Southwest Conference to the Big 12, you are uniquely qualified to offer a, a take here on what Commissioner Bowlesby is dealing with. Uh, we've had him on the, on the podcast a uh, uh, couple months back. What, what, you know, what do you make of what's happening right now in college football, particularly as it relates to the Big 12? Well, some of it, Kevin, I'm, you know, would just be a lot of speculation. I get myself in a lot of trouble. Um, 
you know, in this day and time, um, money and television exposure are two extremely critical uh, aspects of where are you going. And um, as, as, as I said, there are 765 schools that play college football and who's in what different levels. So let's just take the level that Texas and Oklahoma play in. That's, it's big time. People, I think we don't do a very good job of just talking about how significant the impact of those, let's say the top 50 programs are in the country. And to get on television, and in 1984, when the uh, Supreme Court ruled that the schools could develop whatever they wanted to develop in terms of television, they have to go through the silliness that we did, in my opinion, with the NCAA, one game a week and all of that. I think right now it's just far different. I think we're, we're at an environment where uh, people are going to look around and find out what's the best place for them and where should they be. Were they all keeping up? Uh, were all of the were all of the Southwest Conference schools keeping up when the Big Twelve was formed? In other words, in facilities and scholarships, and uh, were they all doing the right thing at the right time? And things change, and um, uh, we're in a we're in a changing environment right now. And Texas and Oklahoma viewed the the impact of going to the Southeast Conference with uh, the SEC network and the heavy news that they have there to be really important to them, and um, uh, so they so they made that move, um, but it puts a, it it has a lot of stress on a lot of other aspects and other conferences in the country to get on television, and uh, people don't necessarily look and review and say, well, we don't want our games on a Thursday night, we don't want to play at eleven o'clock Saturday mornings, et cetera, et cetera. And the SEC has been extremely two fisted about what they want to do with their football, what their uh, date and times are each year when they're going to play the game. And um, I think that they have been very aggressive about what they want to do. So, you know, you, you don't want things to, to settle down, but uh, frankly, um, things, things happen. Things are going to change. And uh, Bob Bowlesby is a, is a marvelous leader. He's extremely smart. Um, having been in that position, there's so many qualities that he has that I wish I had some of those, Kevin. Um, his sense of patience, his sense of uh, looking uh, inward and what he can put together and what the, what the future is going to be. Um, I didn't trust Bob totally to, to do all of that. He just, he's really marvelous at it. Will it be a rocky road? Sure. But just look around the country at, at a lot of other uh, conferences too. Are they, all, are they all at the level of the Southeast Conference? Southeast Conference is blessed right now with having maybe one of the greatest uh, phenomenons in the history of college football, which is Nick Saban in Alabama. Uh, let's call it what it is. I mean, he this this is a, something that is just marvelous. Uh, he loses assistant coaches. He changes players every year, and they're right back every year to be just marvelous. And so I think we're watching something very, very strong, and the rest of the league follows behind it, follows behind Nick's, uh, Nick's lead. So, you know, on the one hand, you'd like it to settle down, but it's it's a tough one. It's really tough. Now, Commissioner Bowlesby did act <clears throat> fairly swiftly with the alliance <clears throat> with the Big Ten and the and the uh, and the Pac-12. Uh, could that be a good thing, a helpful thing? I know there's discussions that looks like uh, Central Florida, uh, Houston, and Cincinnati are on the way. Uh, what do you think of what kind of what happens next in the Big Twelve? Well, I, I, and again, I haven't been privy to the conversations with. Um, 
with Bob uh, uh, directly on this. So um, my guess is in the way that, uh, that they're looking at this, they get right back to 12 right away. You've got Texas and Oklahoma to be there to, to 2025. So you prepare for the future and um, <clears throat> working it kind of backwards with the addition of those four schools, you've got a great basketball league to begin with. And, and so you say, okay, well, uh, is, that's not the same as football. Well, it's not, but let's stand, let's, let's try to find a way to stand on both legs. So you got, it's a great basketball league. You're now in the state of Ohio. You're now in West Virginia. You're now, you know, you've got some impact out there. So let's go sell it. Let's go develop it. Let's, let's make it really big. Um, and, and, it, and as far as it goes in the future, and I think that what this brought about is the ability to develop uh, and what was clear what Bob's working on is, is just terrific matchups that you want to have on television all the time. Just look at the games last weekend at the start of the year. Um, there are people still talking about the, uh, the games that happened <clears throat> just last weekend. And um, uh, couldn't you have more of those great matchups? And uh, <clears throat> I have always been blessed having worked for Chuck Ninus at the Big Eight Conference a long time ago. The whole idea of how you put um, quadrants together in conferences and how you schedule and how are you inventive and how do you make things happen during the course of the year. Um, I think getting to 12 or 16 teams <clears throat> gives you that flexibility. <clears throat> Pardon me, Kevin. Gives you the flexibility to go and schedule and go look at some non-conference games that you might not have looked at before that would have great appeal with the television and that would give, give you a great opportunity to be on the right uh, TV slots and maybe go look for other partners for television. Uh, why does it all have to be on ESPN? Well, let's go look at Fox or let's go look and see what's coming with Apple, what's coming with, with Amazon television. <clears throat> let's go explore all of these. <clears throat> That's where I think the value of Bob is. <clears throat> he sees those things. He, he has a feel for it. And I think those would be the next steps for everybody in that alliance. We've got a domino effect hitting the American Athletic Conference, which of course includes SMU. You see Mike Oresco out uh, this week talking about what they're going to do if, if in fact they lose, they lose those three schools. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, Steve, you may be happy to know I'm actually a member of the Joe Tiller chapter of the NFF and in Indiana. Uh, talk a little bit, you know, back to Monica's question uh, about the. Uh, you know, your, your mission with all that's happened in, 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 in the world, what is the, what are the great lessons that come from, uh, uh, playing in, in playing football? Uh, you know, we're going to be talking with Al Montoya of the stars shortly about the great lessons that kids can learn from hockey and why it's important to expand the outreach. What are the lessons learned from football? And, you know, given the attention on concussions and injuries, What's the best way to approach youth football in 2021? Well, there's a, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting conversation. And um, when you talk about being part of the Joe Tiller chapter, we have, we have 121 chapters in 47 states. So we work with a half a million high school football players, uh, scholarships in that through 5,000 uh, high school playing uh, high schools around the country. And, um, and then we have a reach out through a program that we call um, Future for Football. And um, <clears throat> the whole idea of the Football Foundation is that if we stand for anything, we stand for the future of the game. <clears throat> now, there's always issues with youth football because of inconsistencies with coaching, 
Um, there's, there's so much of the negativity out there um, relative to CTE or the injury aspects of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So who, who is talking about the real reality of, of all of this? So you, what we do on, on this end here, and the reason that I point out those guys that are on our board of directors, we also have, we have some of the greatest players in the history of the game. So Archie Manning's our chairman. We've got Archie Griffin, only two-time winner of the Heisman, Troy Aikman, Lynn Swan, Ronnie Lott, Lincoln Kennedy. Um, we've got some guys that, that would turn around and say, I'm where I am today because of the game of football. So the lessons the lessons that we talk about all of the time, it's, it's hard work. Football is not an easy game. you got to put equipment on. It's hot. Um, you, you, it's a collision sport. What do you learn from that? Do you learn teamwork? Yes. Do you learn goal setting and visions? Um, uh, the coach in, in our society today is not rewarded as he should be because the coach today has to be a dad. He has to be a counselor. He has to be a motivator. <clears throat> he also has to be a disciplinarian. But you set that goal. And if you were to be in our office today, we would give you a printout that's got 6,000 names of people from around the country that have called us and said, hey, coach, I am where I am today because of football. And so people don't realize that Robert Kraft played football. People don't realize that George Steinbrenner, one of the guys that hired me, people don't know that he played and coached college football. He'd be the, if, if he was still alive today, God rest his soul, he would say he's where he is because of football. But we've got him in all walks of life. Um, uh, we gave our gold medal award two years ago to Mark Harmon. A lot of people didn't know that he played and was a terrific quarterback at UCLA. And his dad won the Heisman. But we've got military leaders and we've got people from all walks of life uh, that have said, I'm where I am because of what football taught me. Hard work, discipline set a goal, uh, be prepared. And, uh, and then we, through future of football, uh, we'd like to talk about taking on the issue. So when you talk about CTE or people say, well, everybody's going to go to the pros. We say, well, there's 81,000 guys playing college football in any given year. Only 0.6% get drafted or signed as free agents to go to the NFL. And then if they're there, they're only three, they're only there on the average of 3.3 years. That means that 99.4% of all the guys you see playing college football are going on to do other things. So the focus has got to be in, in, in what's actually out there in terms of uh, the success of the sport. Can you get hurt? Is there such a thing as CTE? Absolutely. And, um, and, but through future of football, we, we bring in doctors, we bring in a lot of other people that say, you can get hurt playing football, but you can get hurt playing a lot of other things too. And all you got to do is look at the end state statistics in terms of injuries and in sports such as gymnastics, wrestling, whatever, to find out that um, it's not a cupcake sport, but there's a lot of other sports that experience the same things. Football is highly visible. Football has a lot of money, and therefore it's always going to attract that kind of attention. So we just try to give some balance to what it means to play, and we try to do that through the guys that played it and coached it who then turn around and say, look, I'm here. And where I am in my life because of what the sport of football did for me. And we have thousands of guys that say that. So we're, we're proud of that effort very much. So, Steve, before we let you go, I'm going to ask kind of a favor. And it'll come with uh, 
me inviting you to lunch, if that's okay. But I really, (laughs) I I really want to uh, pick your brain a little bit. Uh, You know, at the Sports Commission, part of our, uh, I guess, bucket list is to create a uh, Dallas Sports Hall of Fame. And obviously, with your experience, I would love to uh, maybe just get some advice, uh, um, have you involved in the process, and those sorts of things. So, uh, if you're okay with it, I'd like to reach out to you after the well, after the podcast and see what we can do moving forward well i i, I would welcome that and and would uh, would sure help you any way that we can and uh, uh we we work with a lot of different groups on that monica and i've been part of uh, in the other cities where i've lived have been part of the sports commissions in other cities and understand that's over that's how overwhelming that can be and, and how impactful that could be to, to be in the hall of fame of a city and uh, would would love to be part of that and help you in any in any way. And I will tell you, you you will have to pay for lunch though. Okay, I, you know that. no no problem, no problem. I'll even let you pick the place. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's been Sounds a few great. years since we've uh, been able to connect. So uh, well, Steve, thank you for joining us today. We definitely wish you much luck and continued success with the National Football Foundation. Uh, that College Football Hall of Fame induction uh, and gala coming up in uh, December. And uh, just uh, thank you for what you do uh, um, for the sports uh, world here in DFW. Well, thank you. And it's sure nice to see you both this morning. And you take care. Stay healthy. All right. And now we'll throw it over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rach. Now we're really happy to be joined by Al Montoya. We've got some breaking news. Uh, this week on Thursday, Al was named as the to a new position, a newly created position as the STARS Director of Community Outreach. Al's a longtime former NHL goaltender. Now we were talking, Al, about, uh, you know, we dedicate every episode to somebody who wore the jersey number. This is episode 30. So we talked, of course, about hockey goaltenders, uh, including Ben Bishop. Now, you are a Chicago guy. You were 35 throughout your career. I'm imagining that might have been a Tony Esposito uh, uh, tribute. I'm not sure. But, but, but Al had a, had a great career. He also made history on April 1st, 2009, uh, when he made his NHL debut with the Coyotes, becoming the first Cuban-American. And get this, the first native Spanish speaker ever to play in NHL history. And his newly created position with the Stars will be focused on helping the organization Grow the game of hockey among underrepresented fans, including Spanish speakers like himself. This is another Steve Alberts, uh, Brad Alberts, great uh, idea. Uh, not Steve Alberts, the announcer, but Brad Alberts, the Stars president. Over nine NHL seasons, Al appeared in 168 games. Coyotes, Islanders, Jets, Panthers, Canadians, Oilers. Great, great uh, long run and an interesting journey. And of course, represented the United States on n- numerous occasions internationally, including helping Team USA to a gold medal in the World Juniors in 2004. Welcome to the mic drop, Al. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this is your first interview having been named. We're getting the exclusive here, Monica. 
uh, with uh, Al, his first interview as the new director of community outreach. Uh, but I want to start with that night that you, you made your debut back in April of 09 with the Coyotes. We talked about how you made history, but then you went out and you shut out the abs. And oh, by the way, Wayne Gretzky was your head coach. Uh, what was that like? Oh, it was unbelievable. As you can imagine, uh, you grew up as a kid thinking, you know, will this day ever come? That's what you dream about. You play for those days and you get the phone call. They let you know that you're going to be playing in this game. And lo and behold, it's a, there's a snowstorm outside. We're in Colorado. Not many fans show up. Wayne Gretzky's behind the bench. And with about a minute left, you know, I'm shaking in my boots. I can't believe it that my first game in the NHL, I'm about to receive a shutout. And I mean, the team was unbelievable with, with me from the captain down to Shane Doan to Wayne Gretzky. Uh, it's a night I'll never forget. Now, you, you had a, a, a quite a journey as the first Cuban American and Spanish speaker, native Spanish speaker. Uh, nice, nice run as a player, but you also encountered some bigotry and stupid things that were said to you and hurtful things. And uh, I, I commend to people read the, the Players Tribune piece that Al wrote, uh, I believe it was back in May, uh, where you really go in detail about some of the things that you that you that you uh, confronted. Uh, you know, how did you persevere, you know, through all that? You know what? Pretty simple. I, like I wrote in the article, you know, 99% of my experiences in hockey were amazing. And I think no matter what you do, especially as a minority in this country, you're always going to have those experiences. And, you know, we talk about now being in this position to talk about those experiences are good because they do break those barriers. They do exist. But how did I get past it? I think about my mother, you know, a Cuban refugee coming here at 12 years old, not knowing the language in 1963 with my grandparents and giving it all up. Her putting herself through medical school, you know, as a woman in 1970, like what? Everything I got to do was a luxury. So that, that's where I got that motivation from my grandparents, from my ancestors, and, and now a chance to pay it forward and, and, and show that you can do it as a minority in this country and this game and the opportunities that it gave me, it's easy. Seems the, the NHL has made enormous strides uh, under the leadership of Commissioner Bettman. I, I've had the pleasure, really the privilege of working with Willie O'Ree, the, you know, the first black player ever to to play in, in the NHL during, during my uh, career. Uh, you know, you're on the, the league's inclusion committee by virtue of the fact that you have this job that you have with the stars where your, 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 your whole mission is to do outreach to underserved communities. Has the league, do I have that right? Is, is the league on the right track, making good progress? You said it, it starts with the leader, starting with Gary Batman to Bill Daly, to the executives, Kim Davis, understanding that the people at the top are really the ones that that see the importance in the, of this. And we're lucky as a league that that's true. You know, they've given us the platform. I always realized that I saw the potential and what my platform was like when I was drafted by the New York Rangers, whether it was, you know, having the Al Cubano sandwich named after me at the Carnegie Deli or ringing the, the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. It's just, as you can imagine, um, being a professional athlete was a full-time job, day-to-day -day job. So now in this position, I'm, I'm beyond grateful that the Dallas Stars 
are the progressive leaders that we all know they are and are giving me this, this opportunity to really reach this underrepresented community and grow this beautiful game that we know. So Al, first off, congratulations and, and welcome to the stars. Um, we, we've had the opportunity from a sports commission standpoint to work with Brad and his team on, on numerous events over the past year. So really excited to have the opportunity to work with you and, and, and grow that community outreach. But, um, give us, give us our listeners, maybe what your goals and hopes are for your new role leading into community outreach and how you'll go about uh, doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, the director of community outreach, like you said, it's a new role here with the Dallas Stars, which is exciting, right? We get to take it from the ground up and that's exactly what we're gonna do. What's, and why do I love community outreach? Because there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to grow this game. You go where the people are, what's important to them. The ones that maybe aren't fans of hockey right now. A perfect example is what we did this weekend. We went to El Super Clasico at uh, the Cotton Bowl. And, and to see the look on the kids' faces, on the parents' faces, that the Dallas Stars were there, maybe feeling a little bit uncomfortable, not being in our element, was fantastic. And me, and personally, selfishly, having the chance to speak Spanish and communicate with these kids and these parents, I said it, it was like I was back home, you know, growing up in Chicago all over again. Well, definitely the... Latin and uh, Hispanic community are, are very important to us too in marketing uh, different events and sometimes a challenge in terms of how do you connect, how do you get them as uh, you know new fans, how, how do you uh, really communicate and uh, we learned something or I learned something interesting uh, from Marcus, our next level intern uh, yesterday on a call. Uh, so I'm going to let Marcus uh, ask you a few questions here. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of that that Latinx community that's never been to a hockey game. So um, I, I kind of want to know what is your approach of like drawing our community and what is what are some things that the Latin community don't really know about hockey? Well, what I always say about our community, the Hispanic community, is our sports IQ is through the roof, right? It's like in soccer games when you hear the whistles and the sounds and the sights, they already know where the ball's going. They know when the referee makes a mistake, it's hockey's no different. It's just a little bit tighter playing field. We love the excitement. And I always say there's nothing more American than throwing on that Jersey and being able to celebrate with your family and your friends. And that is that Latin culture. That's what we're all about. We're about being together, celebrating together, enjoying being included. So Al, you mentioned Super Classico, which was, you know, a big event for us with Club America versus Chivas, Cotton Bowl, a club rivalry, Mexican club rivalry there. Um, we have a big uh, initiative going on from a Dallas standpoint and actually over the United States, but our World Cup bid for 2026. Are you a, are you a soccer fan? Did you, did you follow soccer, soccer along the way? Um, cause if so, I, I may put you to work on, on some of our World Cup bid committee. So I'm just, you know. Uh, looking for some information here. I'm going to be completely honest with you. As a kid, soccer was my sport, but I didn't ever really watch sport. I always wanted to be out there playing it. Um, I can even go more into it because what does sport do to us? It allows us to develop as children. You know, I grew up in this world where I was raised by immigrants and Spanish was my first language. 
And then in Chicago, I would, you know, when you get to school and four or five years old, you walk outside, it's a bit of culture shock. I was in this Irish Catholic neighborhood. So what did sports let me do? Sports let me develop into the person that I became today. Every person should have that ability to really, that opportunity to play any sport that they want. And especially the children, they need that, that opportunity and it shouldn't be held to just one group. And that's what we're here to do today. But to be perfectly honest with soccer and hockey, I didn't really follow those sports. I love to play them. I was a student of the game. Not until I became a professional athlete did I really start playing, paying attention to televised sport. Well, it's okay, Al. We're going to put you to work anyway, uh, integrate you into our, our into our bid committee uh, there. You know a little bit uh, about soccer. But I will have to say that, you know, you mentioned something very important and the importance of children playing sport and the development and character that it builds and uh, the values that, uh, you know, being able to play with others and on a team or, or you know, on an individual sport, uh, very important and something that, you know, we see – even on the sports tourism side to be very important of, well, yes, we saw some, you know, down ticks in participation during COVID, but uh, a lot of things, usually the youth sports continue to either progress or get out of a, a, a pandemic or a downturn pretty quickly because parents realize the value of youth sports and what it has on their children. And before I turn it over, Sully, I just have uh, kind of one other questions of, uh, you know, we had uh, your GM, Jim Neal, on the podcast uh, around the NHL entry draft. The Stars had a terrific offseason. What do you think of the offseason moves, and where is the team heading into training camp? Yeah, I'm looking at the roster here. The team that Jim Neal and company has built, it's a team that the Dallas Stars community should be excited about. You know, you look at the back end with the goalies that they have, they brought in Holtby, they have Bishop, they have Kadobin. They're all playoff tested. They're all champions. And then I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the defense because as a former goalie, those are your best friends. And then you got, they brought in, uh, I call him Captain America. He was on our 2004 world junior gold medal team, Ryan Suter. This is guy. It's a luxury to play behind this guy. Not only is he one of your best consistent day in and day out players, he's a leader in and out of the locker room. And then you go, it's simple. You got Klimberg, Miro, guys that they're leaning on for, you know, production. And then you go up front. As a goalie coming to Dallas, you knew you never had a night off. With Jamie Benn, uh, Tyler Sagan. Now they brought in Joel Pavelski. Like, it, the list goes on and on. And then you have Radulov. I, I had the pleasure of playing with this guy in Montreal. And I haven't seen more of a gamer than that guy in my life. So uh, the Dallas Stars fans, I think they're lucky for what they have here. Um, and in Jim Nell, like I said, they built a fantastic team that I can't wait to see. And, you know, Al, the Holpe thing is interesting because he will put some pressure, uh, you know, won a, won a cup with the Caps in 2018. I, I think he's got a lot of gas left in the tank. I know Vancouver uh, bought him out and we had a chance to, to bring him here. And once again, it's a kind of a classic Jim Nell move. What you might give us a prediction on who emerges uh, as the as the starting goal goal uh, tender out of that out of that group, no idea, you know. And I think that's the best part. And even more so, I've been watching these guys practice, and they get along, and they have this relationship. It seems like there's no ego, you know. And and you can't ask for anything more than that. But you know, whoever's in that net is going to give you a great chance to win. And and bringing in Holpe, like you said, just a few years removed from a cup, you know the things he did in that Stanley cup, the things he's done in his career, 
you look at Vancouver and you just let it go and you move on and you're, and you're excited for this season. Well, Al, thanks for joining us. Good luck with your work. And I'll tell you one thing, we are, we are going to do a mic drop field trip to American Airlines Center. We're going to bring Marcus. We're going to get him to his first NHL game. And you know he's going to be hooked. Marcus, you're going to love it. Fast, loud, contact. It's, uh, it's awesome. And, and we're, going to, we're going to get that, that taken care of, Al, so you have one more fan uh, you know, in, in the ranks. Can't wait, Marcus. I'll, I'll be there to greet you myself. All right. So thanks for joining us. All the best to Al Montoya and his new job as Director of Community Outreach for the Dallas Stars. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Okay, Sully, it's really my favorite new event here in Dallas. Join the Perot Museum of Nature and Science every Thursday for Thursdays on Tap. Experience a museum after hours with a 21 plus crowd and you'll enjoy live music, drinks and food trucks. Plus, you get full access to exhibits all night long. It's the perfect date night. Visit ParotMuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rach. Now, this is going to be a blast. We have, we're happy to be joined by the Sturminator, Bob Stern, a mainstay at the ticket since he arrived in 1998. Of course, long run uh, on bad radio uh, with, uh, with uh, Dan McDowell. But of course, he succeeded the great Mike Reiner in February of 2020. This is a monumental task that you, I don't know the adjectives to describe how big those shoes are. Uh, but Bob is doing a, doing a great job in that three to seven uh, uh, slot alongside Corby Davidson, a proud son of the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Bob still has not recovered from the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA championship. By the way, Bob, we got to congratulate Ted Davis, my my old pal and longtime Dallas Mavericks play-by-play radio announcer for calling the, the championship and then immediately retiring. So Ted capped off his, his great career with a championship with the Bucs, and that, that's pretty cool. Uh, welcome, Bob, to the mic drop. We really are happy to have you on. It's uh, very much my pleasure. Happy to be with you guys, and, uh, and uh, no doubt Ted uh, had a proper dismount. There's uh, no way to go out like that. <laughs> That, that's that's incredible. So, Bob, we're going to start with the Ryder Cup. You're going to be there at Whistling Straits in Kohler, Wisconsin, doing the show from there with Corby, as I understand it. Lots yeah. of Dallas connections. We talked about at the top of the show, you know, DeChambeau, Scheffler, Spieth. Uh, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be it's going to be uh, fantastic. I've been to a bunch of these. Uh, what are you looking forward to most about being at Whistling Straits for the 43rd Ryder Cup? Yeah, well, I, I've always been a uh, big Ryder Cup enthusiast, uh, but through my television, never been there. And I always thought, man, that'd be great to go sometime. And then found out it was in my home state. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm riding quite a heater now after being a game six for the Bucks uh, Suns. And uh, then, uh, you know, didn't know my state was turning into the, the, uh, the uh, state of champions. But, uh, uh, you know, just it, it's weird how, you know, my homeland of Wisconsin and Texas keep intersecting in so many crazy ways over the years. Uh, TCU and Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, the Packers winning the Super Bowl here in Dallas, and and just all the all the weird symmetry of it all. So when the Ryder Cup was up there, and I knew plenty of uh, yeah the the DFW golf uh, heroes would be uh, representing the USA. I I, I did not want to miss that. It got delayed by a year, but it's all good and. I, as, as far as what am I looking for? I'm just looking to see the scene, man. I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's professional golf, of course, but 
it's professional golf where where people clearly take a side and uh you know you're uh you know you're you're stadium singing the uh, national anthem and you see everybody in red white and blue and i think that'll be a pretty wild scene so bob i hear in addition to your day job uh you help uh, troy aikman prep for his fox nfl game each week tell us a little bit about that well, you know, it, I, I always hate to overstate uh, <laughs> Troy's need for me, but he's a, he's a thorough dude. Uh, he puts a lot into, you know, how he gets ready for games. He is not a big fan of learning things live on the air. So, uh, so he, he uh, just hammers the prep and makes sure that, uh, that he's got every uh, stone unturned uh, or overturned, I, su- I should say. And, and in 2016, he asked me to, to, uh, to add, you know, my obsessive compulsive way of following football uh, to, to his uh, team. And so, uh, you know, even uh, this morning, I'm uh, working on, you know, one of his next games. I need to, I, I'm kind of the advanced guy because he going through the season will have games every three or four days. And, and in many cases, it's teams we're very familiar with. Uh, this Sunday, he's got Saints Packers, for instance. Okay, he could, he could do that game without any help from anybody. But once we get into it, uh, I know like week three is already Carolina and Houston. So these are teams that he's not spending a ton of time on, nor is just about anybody. But the goal is to get to that, that game and to have those fan bases not feel like the broadcaster is not completely up to speed with what everything that's going on. So it's, it's tracking storylines, it's tracking career paths. And, you know, when you, when you uh, go 50 deep on 32 teams, uh, you realize there is an awful lot of material to make sure you're covering, to make sure that, uh, that uh, there are no surprises uh, in the national football league uh, when you're, uh, when you're broadcasting a game, like he does at an extremely high level. Well, anybody who's listened to you on the ticket over the last, you know, 23 years, Bob, knows of your encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, so uh, so I, it, it was interesting to hear that, that uh, Troy has tapped into you that way. Uh, yeah. w- as we record this on Thursday, of course, we're doing this on the morning of the Cowboys opener uh, right. against Tampa Bay. So we can't put you on the spot with a prediction uh, exactly. Uh, but what, what do you make of, uh, did you watch Hard Knocks, first of all? And just generally, how do you think the Cowboys are, are, what did you think of that? And how do you think the team is, is positioned uh, for the season? Well, I, you know, I love hard knocks. I, I, I'm always interested in hearing feedback because uh, many of my media colleagues uh, are, are like, well, nothing really happened in this episode. And I said, well, that's kind of the point. You don't want, you know, you know, car chases and explosions. <laughs> when you're trying to get ready for a season. You just want smoothness you don't want major stories you you know a major story is somebody's leg collapsed or they won't be you know we don't need major storylines in hard knocks what we need is a team that looks like they're coming together and gelling now a lot of it's propaganda uh, a lot of it is uh, marketing to get us fired up and and i'm guilty of uh, seeing you know that sort of thing and saying all right i am ready for some football in the words of hank williams jr but um Overall, I think the Cowboys will have a really good team this year. I don't know that that will be on display in the first game at Tampa Bay because that's an extremely difficult game. Uh, I think you could say in a 32-team league, you will play the other 31 teams home or away. So there are 62 possible situations in the NFL. And I would argue the number one most difficult place to play and opponent to play right now would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bringing back all 22 starters 
fully healthy, fully rested with the whole world watching. So the Cowboys without Zach Martin walking into a lion's den tonight. So, uh, you know, obviously if people are watching this after the fact or before the fact, they'll probably have a good laugh, but I anticipate they will be 0-1 by midnight. And I also anticipate they'll win their division and be, uh, you know, at least have a chance to come playoff time to, to make some noise. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, it's 17 games, not one. So I think by the end, uh, the Cowboys will have a real rebound year this year. How, how good and how big a rebound that is, uh, who could possibly guess? Uh, even those of us who study this for a living have no idea, trust me. We had Brad Sham on a couple of months ago and uh, before training camp started, and he said the Cowboys have never had anyone better than Dak Prescott in the intangibles and the leadership stuff. That came through, uh, I thought, on, on hard knocks. Yeah. We have another quarterback slash leadership situation with your Packers. Before we get to the download quickly, what do you make of that situation with what's uh, going on there with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers in the pack? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a player empowerment time where players want to sort of choose their own adventure and their own destiny. And I don't blame them. And I also don't blame a guy from California saying living in green Bay for 16 years uh, has filled his cup with all of uh, cheese lamb that he needs. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of middle ground. What I do think is interesting though, is to see uh, Giannis Atenacupo this summer uh, sort of embody everything you would want in a local hero. Very Dirk Nowitzki of him. And uh, there's never been a sniff that he was going to leave town except uh, for the media trying to stir up that, hey, he's going to be a Laker or hey, he's going to be a Knicks someday. I don't think Giannis was ever like that. So to see a guy embrace his setting and another guy sort of, uh, you know, want to escape or extract himself from his setting. I mean, it's sports. Uh, you hope uh, your guys are more Giannis than Rogers, but at the same time, um, like I said, if you give Wisconsin 16 years of, uh, of MVP caliber football, um, I, I, I can be a little annoyed at uh, the temper tantrums, but I, I you know, I'm living in Texas. Okay. And if I was still living in Wisconsin all these years later, not that I'm not proud of where I'm from, but I don't like winter at all. So I prefer DFW. And, uh, and, and I often say to people, you can't make me leave. I don't want to leave here and I want to live here. And that's, what's great about being a grown up. And so Aaron Rodgers uh, has a different lifestyle than me. He also has a different paycheck than me, but uh, that doesn't mean uh, he doesn't have uh, feelings where he'd like to wake up, look at it look, and look at an ocean. Uh, but uh, we can't always have what we want. All right, Bob, this is the portion of the podcast where we ask our guests, what are you streaming? What are you downloading? Can be music, podcast, book, TV, movies, what are you consuming these days? Give us a recommendation. Well, I consume a lot of things and uh, I'm always, always, uh, you know, getting the media uh, scene uh, completely overtaking my, my every single free moment I have. So I can give you a bunch of football things, but uh, you know what? I feel like your audience would rather hear about vampires. And uh, if I had to give you one thing, I would recommend a awesome comedy, a awesome vampire comedy, which I don't think that's a huge genre, but uh, what we do in the shadows is back right now for season three. Uh, I stream it on Hulu. I think you can watch it on FX. And uh, if you've never seen, uh, you know, uh, vampires trying to make it on in today's world on Long Island, 
I think uh, I think he would get some laughs. So uh, what we do in the shadows is is uh, the top recommendation I could offer anyone right now. If you like laughing at uh, dumb vampires who don't quite understand how email works and things like that. I'll have to check that out. Uh, Monica, you're taking the week off, right? For no download this week. This, Bob, this means that Monica is the hardest working. We no, know no. she's the hardest working person in, in sports and show business. Actually, she doesn't have time. Actually, uh, Sully, uh, yes, I am taking a uh, time out for download because I spent so much time working on some fantasy football drafts. And, you know, with Bob's insight, I may request that he's on every week because he can actually help me with some of the picks. I've got to pick them that I needed to get in tonight before the game. So <laughs> I, I actually picked up a lot of information from this segment. So um, watch out, Bob. We, you may be a, a weekly pretty- guest. People are pretty disappointed how bad I am at fantasy football. Well, I, I tell them uh, my focus on real football does not translate to fantasy football, I'm afraid. I, I figured I should ask that question. Of, okay, how good are you with your fantasy team? Maybe I don't want to take your recommendations. But... I don't even bother, to be honest. How about that? Yeah, my, my download this week, Bob and Monica, is Billions, which is back on Showtime, finishing the interrupted uh, season five, I guess it is, that got derailed by COVID. One of my favorite shows on TV. Uh, I like Succession, which is always compared. It yeah. baffles me why this show has never gotten any Emmy, Emmy nominations or, or serious consideration. Phenomenal cast led by Paul Giamatti, Damian Lewis, Maggie Siff. Lots of drama. Phenomenal music. The soundtrack is great. They use a lot of, uh, a lot of contemporary, even classic rock. Uh, as well. It, uh, great, great show. Uh, and uh, that's what I'm downloading right now. And since Monica passed, I am going to just just jam in a quick musical recommendation. I've been sort of stuck on Kathleen Edwards all week long. Canadian. She's been around since about 2005. Kind of little jangly, kind of progressive country. Uh, great voice. And, uh, you know, having, having uh, you know, talking hockey today with Al, you know, I, I'm in a, in a, even though he's American, I'm in a Canadian state of mind, I guess. So Kathleen <laughs> Edwards and Billions are my, is my double download. Uh, and, and, and Bob, thanks so much for joining us. This was, this was really fun. Uh, Monica, any, uh, any last uh, words of wisdom from you? No, other than go Cowboys. I mean, come on. Uh, it's, it's exciting. We had college football start up. Now we've got professional. What a great week. Yeah, go Cowboys, go Longhorns, go Purdue Boilermakers at Connecticut. If we can't handle that one, we got a real problem. Uh, and Bob, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. On behalf of Monica and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to Bob Sturm, Steve Hatchell, and Al Montoya. Great guests this week, as always. Thanks to the Mike Drock production team, Chris D'Amelia, Marcus Carr, the crew at Vocal Media. Happy birthday to Amanda Larder of Tony Fay PR. And of course, thanks to our showrunner and visionary, and fearless leader, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.